today we are in 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, Make your way to verse 12 and follow along as I read. Peter writes, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in this present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir up you by way of reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we turn our attention now to your word, We're opening up your word, and God, we pray that our hearts would be open to what you would say to us today. And God, I pray that for all of us here in this room, for those that are watching online, for those that are maybe in the courtyard, that that we would leave this place today, that we would leave this time today different than when we began that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would maybe speak to us today about our priorities, about our outlook, about our attitudes, and God, that we would have your heart as we leave this place today. Teach us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in 2004, that country music theologian Tim McGraw, it's kind of a joke there, came out with a song that was entitled, Live Like You Are Dying. The song was a conversation that McGraw was having with a friend who was in his 40s, who had just found out that he didn't have much, uh, very long time to live. And the song went like this. I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me when a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays and talking about options and talking about sweet time. And then McGraw chimes in. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end. How does it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what do you do? And his friend replied, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, and I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying, and he said, someday I hope that you get the chance to live like you were dying. The philosophy of that song was kind of twofold. One, to do all the things that you haven't been able to do, all the things that you have dreamed of, to to do those, and then also to make your relationships right. Well, it's interesting, about five years later, a Christian by the name of Chris Allen, who happened to win American Idol, he came out with a song that had the exact same title. His song went like this. We got to start looking at the hands of the time that we've been given. If this is all we've got, we've got to start thinking. If every second counts on the clock that's ticking, got to live like you're dying. We only got 86,400 seconds in a day to turn it all around or to throw it all away. We got to tell them that we love them while we got the chance to say we got to live like we're dying. In his song, Chris Allen is encouraging his listeners to realize that they are living on borrowed time, to live in the reality that the clock is ticking and to make the most of it. Well, you know what? The Apostle Peter could have written a similar 
song. As we come to verses 12 through 15, we find that Peter has his own impending death on his mind as he writes to the church, and he seems to know here that his days are numbered. Look at verse 14 again. He says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus has shown me. Somehow the Lord indicated or revealed to Peter that, that his days were numbered, that his time of passing from this earth was coming. You know, the Puritans believed that the aim of every Christian should be to live well and to die well. And one of the most notable examples in church history of somebody who lived well and died well is seen in the life of a man by the name of Polycarp. Now, those of you who are familiar with church history, you recognize that name because Polycarp was actually a a disciple of the Apostle John, and he lived and died at a time when Roman persecution and martyrdom was at an all-time high. Polycarp was 86 years old when the Romans arrested him. I guess at 86, they still saw him as being a threat. And they tried to get him to renounce his faith in Jesus and just declare that Caesar was Lord. They said, come on, how hard can it be to just say Caesar is Lord? And this was his response. He says, you know that for 86 years I have served Jesus and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Well, that response only irked the Romans even more. And the Roman executioner looked at him and said, I'm going to make this fire that we're going to throw you in extremely hot, to which Polycarp responded, you threaten me with a fire that burns for one hour, and you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Drop the mic. I mean, come on. What an amazing statement, right? He says, you threaten me with a fire that burns for an hour, but you know nothing of the fire of the eternal judgment that's coming, and it's going to be really, really hot, and that's where you're going. I mean, that that was Polycarp. Talk talk about, you know, living well and dying well. What a great example of that. You know, Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. And between those two points is what we call life. We all here are creatures who are bound for eternity. Every single human being is going to spend eternity in one of two places, either with Jesus in his kingdom or separated from Jesus in a place that the Bible describes as being like outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of utter torment. And the question that all of us need to consider and we really need to to face is how will we spend our time here and make it count for eternity? Well, in the four verses before us today, Peter, I think, answers that question. He gives us some insights. If you're taking notes, I have three points today. Peter, first of all, tells us to live with death in mind. Now, I know that sounds really foreign to say, especially if you're a younger person. Live with death in mind? How do you do that? What does that mean? Well, that's exactly what Peter is doing here. In fact, if you go back to verse 11, that's where we left off last week, Peter writes to his audience about the prospect of entering heaven, the eternal kingdom, when he says this, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He's speaking there about entering heaven one day, and then he follows up that idea in verse 12 by saying, for this very reason. For what reason? For the reason that he just wrote about in verse 11. For the reason that one day we're going to enter into heaven. And you see, that becomes Peter's present motivation for what he's writing, but also for the way that he lived his life. His motivation was this, heaven is calling. Heaven's calling. Heaven is calling out to us. Peter believed in his, his, his own death was pretty eminent. He speaks of his death twice in these verses, once cryptically and the other plainly. He speaks of it cryptically when he speaks about getting rid of this tent. He speaks of it plainly in verse 15 when he says that you will have a reminder of these things after my decease. And that word decease is a very interesting word. It's the word exodus. After my exodus. Remember, the book of Exodus is about what? The children of Israel leaving Egypt, being brought out of Egypt and being led to the promised land. It speaks of of leaving one place and heading to another. And Peter says, hey, you're going to have a reminder after my exit, after I'm leaving earth and I'm on my way to heaven. And so in this entire passage, Peter is living his life with his own death in mind. And you know what? That is a really good thing for all of us to do. It's a great way for all of us to think because it makes us think, what am I doing now with what I've been given? What am I doing now with the gifts and the talents and the time and the resources that I have been given? Am I using them wisely? Think of it this way. You have an appointment with a lawyer. And to go and see this lawyer His fee is it's going to cost you $250 an hour to meet with him. When you go into his office and that hour starts, are you going to ask the lawyer, hey, tell me about your upbringing? You know, hey, what's your favorite baseball team? Now, you could care less about that stuff because it's costing you $250 an hour. You want to know, you know, you want to get right to the point of what's going on in your life. And you know what? We need to think the same way. We all are on the clock. Did you know that we actually start dying the day that we're born? The day that we come into the world, the death process begins. We're dying. We're decaying. I guess it's sort of like, you know, driving a car off a, a, a lot after you've bought it. It depreciates a thousand dollars, you know, the minute you drive off the lot. Well, the same thing is true about, about our life. The moment that we come into this world, the, the dying process begins and it only becomes more evident the older that you get, right? The older that we get, the more we start realizing that I've got a lot more life behind me than I have in front of me. It becomes a lot more evident when you start to realize, man, I've been going to a lot more funerals lately than I've been going to weddings. And so I want you to let this stick with you today, this idea that you are on the clock. Every single one of us, we are on the clock, and are you making the most of your time? So the first thing that Peter wants us to realize is to live with our death in mind. Number two is to live like you're camping out. Twice in this passage, Peter uses the word tent. In verse 13, he says, 
I think it's right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. And then in verse 14, he says, and knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as Jesus has shown me. What is he talking about? Putting off his tent. Peter is using here a familiar metaphor for the human body. That the human body is like a tent. The Bible speaks of this in various places. Paul spoke of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul said this, We know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. And that word destroyed speaks of taking down a tent. It's the idea. That's what you do after you're done camping, right? You don't destroy, you don't light the tent on fire unless you never want to go tent camping again. No, you take it down, you fold it up, you, you put it away is the idea. And Paul says, so we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands that is eternal in the heavens. So we see here that both Peter and Paul draw on this analogy of the human body being like a tent. And the reason is, is that tents are temporary structures. Tents are temporary dwelling places. Tents are not meant to be lived in for a long time. Just out of curiosity, how many of you here enjoy camping? Show of hands if you enjoy camping, okay? How many of you that just raised your hands enjoy tent camping, okay? A little less of you, raise your hands. Um, how many of you that just raised your hands says you enjoy tent camping have done it in the last two years? You've gone tent camping, okay, a couple of you. How many of you like RV camping? You know, that's your camping. How many of you like hotel camping? You know, that's, <laughs> that's the camping for me, right, you know? Well, even those of you who said, hey, I like tent camping, I think you would agree that there comes a point in that experience where you start saying, your back starts telling you, I can't wait to get in my bed. I can't wait to get out of this tent, man. I can't handle this for one more day. I can't wait to get home and have a hot shower. That's because tents are not meant to be lived in for a long period of time. And Peter is saying, and Paul is saying, this Body is like a tent. Tents are temporary dwelling places, and so is this body. Tents wear out, and so does this body. Paul continues there in 2 Corinthians 5 by saying this, Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Since we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And now the one who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us his Holy Spirit as a down payment. Twice he mentions about our tents that we groan. In this tent we groan. We groan in these bodies. How many of you groaned a little bit getting out of bed today? <laughs> right. He says, in these bodies we groan. These, these, these bodies are, are, are subject to pain and difficulty. He says, in these bodies we are burdened. That's the tent. But listen, here's what I want you to catch. The tent is not the real you. You see, the real you is the, the spiritual part of you, your spirit, that lives inside of the tent. It's the, your spirit that has been brought to life because you live in a relationship with Jesus. 
And people that don't know Jesus, the Bible says that they're dead, meaning they're separated from God. Even while they're living, walking, they have a tent, but the Spirit is, is dead. But the Spirit is the real you. And the body is the way through which God has designed that we can communicate to one another and interact with one another. Our tents are helpful for us in that process, that it makes it becomes the vehicle where we can have relationship and communication. But there will come a day when the tent starts to roll, to, to wear out. There comes a day where all of a sudden the tent just ceases to be. It quits and we call that death. And you will make an exodus at that point, a departure, a taking down of your tent. And you're going to make an exodus. If you know Jesus, you're going to enter into his presence. The Bible says to be absent from this body, this tent, is to be present with the Lord. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to be separated from him. But that's the best way to look at death is it's the taking down of the tent. We're moving from one place to another. That's why when a Christian dies, it's, it's really not appropriate. It's not the best thing for us to say is that they, they died and actually they moved on. They moved out of this body and from this earth and they moved into glory. No wonder Paul would write this in the book of Philippians. For me to live, he said, is Christ. Now, that's an identity statement. He's saying, this is what my identity is all about. For me to live as Christ. For me to live is all about knowing Jesus, following Jesus, serving Jesus, enjoying Jesus. That's what my life is about. For me to live is Christ. And then he says, and to die is gain. In other words, death becomes the culmination of what I've been living for. You know why? Because in death, the Bible says, I see my Savior face to face. John says that we're going to see him and we're going to find that we're going to be like him. And so Paul said, that, that's the culmination. He says, that's why it's better, he says, to die. Because right now, in our relationship with Jesus, you know, we, we only know him in part and there's a distance, there's a, a separation because we're here on earth and he's in heaven and we, we, we can't have the intimacy with him that we're going to be able to have when we see him face to face. And so Paul says, it's far better to die. And so Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's why I say that this life is kind of like the prologue to a book. You know when you're reading a book and sometimes there's a prologue, it's kind of the story before the story. It's the story that sets up the story. That's what this life is. Because in this life, it's all about what we do, what we're doing here for Jesus is going to play a part in what we're going to be doing with Jesus for eternity. This is the prologue. That's the real story. What's coming is the real story, what, what, what awaits us. So Paul says, for me to live is Christ. That's my identity. You know, we live in a culture today where people are searching for their identity. And some people might say, hey, for me to live is my profession. It's what I do. It's making money. For me to live is to make money, and to die is to leave it all behind. Somebody else might say, you know, what, what I'm all about is, man, my, my stuff, my car, my house, my boat, my vacation home, whatever it might be. And their whole life, for me to live, is all about getting the best of everything. And to die is to leave it to somebody else. Because that's what happens. Do, do you know that none of you will be pulling a U-Haul into heaven? You know that? 
You're not going to be honking at the pearly gate. Peter, show me where to park this thing. You know, No, we leave it all behind. We leave it to somebody else. You know, we live in a culture today where being an influencer is a big deal. In fact, a lot of kids today in school, they, they're you know, asking, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? They used to say things like, I want to be a doctor or a fireman or a policeman. Today, I want to be an influencer. I want to have my own YouTube channel. And you can make a lot of money doing that type of thing. So somebody might say, for me to live is to be an influencer and to die is to die alone. It's to die alone. You see, it's only the person who is living for Jesus who can say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So Peter's telling us here, he's, he's given some insight, live your life like you are camping out. In other words, don't make it all about this tent. Live your life where you are investing Time, energy, resources, gifts, talents in the kingdom of God. That you are, that you have more in that kingdom, more invested there than you have at the end in your bank account. It's what, it's what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I want you to catch this. I don't think Jesus is saying that it's wrong to have a retirement account. I don't think it's Jesus is saying that, that it's wrong that you want your house to look decent. I mean, that can actually be a good witness to the neighbors who are around you. But I do think that this is what he's telling us, is that we need to be investing more in our internal home than we are in our temporary tents. So that the end of our lives, when we look back, we can answer this question. Where was the majority of our time, effort, resources, energy, gifts? Where was it invested in temporary things or in eternal things? In fact, I've told you this before. I think it would be really, really good for all of us to adopt this practice. To put imaginary little red tags on everything that in our life that's temporary. Cars, homes, toys, the stuff. Red tags because the Bible says all that stuff is going to burn. That's where it's headed. It's all going to burn. Red for fire. It's all going to burn. So little imaginary red tags on everything in our life that is temporary. And then imaginary little green tags, green speaking of life, for every but in our sphere of influence, because people are eternal. That's what's going to last forever. It's people. As I said before, the people around us in our sphere of influence are going to spend eternity either with Jesus or separated from Jesus. It's, it's the reminder that the kingdom of this world, this kingdom, it's temporary. It's not going to last. It's going to burn, the Bible says, with a fervent heat. But his kingdom is eternal. And I want to ask you this question. Where are you invested in the most? Which kingdom? So how do we spend and live our lives in such a way that makes them count for eternity, number one? 
we live with death in mind. Number two, we live like we're camping out. And then finally, number three, you live for a legacy that outlives you. And the insight that Peter gives us on how to do this and what this looks like is that we would live our lives for the benefit of others. You know, there's a lot of talk right now. Buzzword going on in the church is this idea of spiritual formation. Maybe you've heard that. A lot of talk about spiritual formation. A lot of talk today about silence and solitude, which is kind of another way of just saying having a really, really strong devotional life and spending time with Jesus. And I got to tell you, I am all for anything that encourages us to spend time with Jesus because that is primary for us. We are called to be with Jesus before we are called to do anything for Jesus. So that is first and foremost. I am not at all knocking that idea of spiritual formation, but the danger right now in the church uh, on the emphasis on spiritual formation and silence and solitude is that it can breed individualism. It can breed isolationism. It can breed a mentality where people are saying, you know, I, I don't need others. I don't need the church. I'm just into spending alone time with Jesus. I've got my Bible. I've got my journal. I've got my books. I've got my favorite podcasts, and I can pull up my, the, the sermons from my, my, my favorite pastors. I'm great. It's just me and Jesus. And there's a great danger today of that in the church. People kind of slipping into that mindset. But listen, the reason why that's dangerous is because it really denies the very reason why we've been made. You see, we have been made, the Bible says, in the image of God. And God is a relational human being. And he has, or not, he's a relational being. He's not a human being, but he's a relational being. And he has made us to be relational beings. For our first and primary relationship is with him. It's that vertical relationship, but then he's also made us to live in relationship with other people. It's the whole purpose of the fall because it was through sin and the fall that our relationship with God was broken. And so Jesus left heaven and came to this earth that he might come and die on the cross and pay the price for our sins so that he could restore that relationship that we had with God. And then God wants us to live as his redeemed people, living in community with other believers and interacting with other people who has also been redeemed and then also seeking to make an impact on people outside of that community that don't know God. That we would make an impact for the kingdom of God. So he wants our lives to be focused on in lives that are about others. In fact, I agree wholeheartedly with the popular New York pastor, John Tyson, who said this on this subject. If Christ is actually being formed in us, we will be led away from self and toward others. He continued, true spiritual formation will drive us beyond self and into the heart of the church. Peter is modeling this very idea. And I want you to know, Peter's 70 years old when he writes this. His tent is unraveling. He knows that his time is short and his mentality is not, you know what, I've, I've given my time to Jesus. I've given my time to others. I've, I've served. It's now time for me to take a break and go on vacation. No. He's all about others. 
His energy and focus is on others. And it's interesting to me that four times in this chapter one of first, of second Peter, he uses the word your, and 11 times he uses the pronoun you as an indication of how his focus was on others. Here's a few examples. In verse 11, he says, for an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly. In verse 12, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you of these things. Verse 13, I think it's right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up. What's Peter doing? What's on his mind? He's thinking about others. He's living for the benefit of others. His heart is to encourage and build up his fellow believers. And the way that he's seeking to do that, notice in verse 13 he says that I want to stir you up by way of reminder. That's what I'm doing. The word stir up means to arouse or to awaken somebody from sleep. It's the idea of shaking somebody out of their comfort zones. You ever had a child or a spouse that overslept and you come into their room and you're like, you know, you got to shake them. Come on, you got to get up. We're going to be late. You know, come on. Some of you are going like, yeah, I did that this morning, you know, before coming here. That's the idea. It's arousing. It's a, it's awaking. There, there's a sense of urgency in this word. I'm seeking to stir you up, to awaken you to action, to put your faith into practice, to live out your faith with a sense of urgency. The writer of the book of Hebrews, he jumps on this same idea. Hebrews chapter 10, he says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day approaching, what is he talking about? He's talking about the coming of the Lord. He's saying, hey, when you look at the world around you and you see that, hey, things are moving faster and faster in the direction of the Lord's coming, stir up one another. Awaken one another to love and good works. I got to tell you, my heart right now is consumed with a sense of urgency. Because our world is getting crazier by the day. And I think that we are living right now on borrowed time. And so there's an urgency in my heart to stir up and, and to encourage and say, guys, come on, we need to make our time count. And I want you to notice the way that Peter seeks to stir them up is by reminding them. In fact, he mentions this idea of reminding them three separate times in verse 12, in verse 13, and in verse 15. And I want you to notice that he's reminding them of things that they already know. Truth, he says, that you've already been established in there in verse 12. So I ask you this question. Why do we need reminders? Because we forget, right? We easily forget. I can't tell you how many times that I've been reading my Bible and I come across a passage that I've highlighted or underlined, maybe made notes in the margin, and yet I've forgotten about that truth. I know it. I know that passage, 
but I, but I, for, I had kind of forgot about it. And I come across it at a time when I'm reading and I'm going through something and there's some turmoil going on, you know, in my mind, in my heart. And I come to this passage and it's like, oh yeah, Lord, thanks so much for that reminder. Thanks so much for reminding me. I needed to hear that again. We need to be reminded because we can be forgetful. We also, be re- we also need to be reminded because we are easily distracted. It's so easy, I think, especially at this day and time and age in which we are living in, for us to get distracted and get off course in life, to get focused on the wrong things, to get to the point where we're headed in the wrong direction. And so we need these constant reminders of what is important. It's sort of like the captain of a ship who's constantly checking his nautical gauge to make sure that they're going in the right direction. We need reminders to help us keep the main thing the main thing. And so Peter sought to encourage and build up others by reminding them of things that they already knew. And so if you want to leave a legacy that outlives you, devote yourself to others by teaching and sharing and encouraging and reminding and stirring others up in the faith. When I read this, I couldn't help but think of my my dad, my father, Tony, who died in 2020. And, you know, my dad never, ever preached a sermon from a stage or a pulpit, but he preached many sermons with his life. And I have had so many men in this church, it happens quite regularly, who will come up to me and say, man, I miss your dad. Because my dad discipled some of them. He sat down with them week after week and going through the word of God with them encouraging them in the faith, reminding them. My dad encouraged so many different guys and just, you know, everyday conversation, just coming up. He always had kind of that word of encouragement. And not just men here, but men at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa because they went there for a really, really long time who people that I see and they'll tell me, man, your dad made an incredible impact upon my life because he invested his time and his energy and his resources in people and in the kingdom of God. He left a legacy that has outlived him. There's a great Native American proverb that says this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Make sure that you live your life in such a manner that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's how you leave a legacy that outlives you. You invest your time, your resources, your heart, and your energy in others and in the kingdom of God. And you know who did that the best? Is Jesus. As I mentioned before, Jesus is in heaven. He's in that place of of great comfort. And he steps out of that to do what? To come on a rescue mission. To rescue people who'd rebelled against God. People who were doomed and damned, whose destiny just looked bleak. And Jesus left all of that to come to this place so that we who were sinners could become children of God. Jesus is our great example. 
That's why Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this example that Peter is giving us today. How to live our lives in such a way that will count for eternity. That we would live with our death in mind, that we would live like we are camping, that we would live to leave a legacy that outlives us. And Lord, I pray for all of us here in this room and anybody that's watching online that, Lord, our hearts today would ponder and consider that we right now would even just do some searching. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. And Lord, I I pray right now that if there are priorities that need to be adjusted, if there is attitudes that need to change, Lord, I pray right now that, God, we would be just obedient to whatever it is that your Holy Spirit is speaking to us individually as it relates to this. That you would move right now in our midst. And God, I pray for anybody here or anybody that's watching online that that doesn't yet have that relation, that doesn't have the assurance that if they were to die today, that they would end up in glory with you. But they fear that they would be separated. Lord, I pray right now in this moment, and if this is you, you can just do this. You You can say today, if you're ready, to have a change. That's what the word repent means, to change your mind. And that change of mind turns in a, results in a change of direction. That you want to change your mind about who your king is. Change your mind about what you've been really giving yourself to. And you want to have that relationship with Jesus. Just tell him today. Just say, Jesus, I want you to save me. I want you to touch me. And he'll meet you right now in this moment. As we close our time today and before we leave and head off into whatever our day holds, I think it would be really good for us just to ponder this word. And like David, to right now give the Lord the opportunity to search us. Invite him, just say, Lord, show me. God, if if I have priorities that are out of whack, show me. And then let's take our hearts right now in this moment and let's just surrender them to him, yield them to him, that we would leave this place today perhaps differently than we came in.